Hey everybody, this is Ben Kesnoka, co-founder and partner at Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is our podcast, where we go deep on all things business and technology with world-leading experts. Now, 1994, many years ago, right. you and David right. Filo are okay, classmates Okay, so how many of you were not born in <laughs> Don't answer that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you and David Filo are classmates at Stanford, and you come up with the idea for Yahoo. What was the initial vision on day one? Um, I, you know, I, I would say that... Uh, um, I was just texting with David this morning, and, and um, texting with David just reminded me of why we were able to start Yahoo and why we were able to be successful in the early days, because David is um, the biggest procrastinator you'll ever meet, um, and he will go out of his way being a genius to figure out ways to procrastinate, so he's so creative at procrastinating. Um, and so I, I think the, the advent of the... I mean, this is when, um, you know, Mark Andreessen had just um, at... in University of Urbana designed the server and the browser, uh, which unified uh, as a protocol the Internet. Before then, it was, you know, you have to, you have to know all the different protocols. And, um, and, and the hyperlink. Um, and so this was, I think, two or three years after Tim Berners-Lee... Um, Came up with the web protocol. So, so this was all really invented weird. the internet. <laughs> well, invented the web. Um, okay. Yeah, and uh, uh, which is coming up on its thirtieth year. So, um, uh, so it, it 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 was one of those you know it was one of those times where um, uh, you had the server and you have the browser and you have these links that you can click on hyperlinks and then all of a sudden um, people who are not techie are able to publish and you can publish. Once you know, put it on the server, and every browser, as long as it conforms to protocol, can see it. So, um, so there was this just massive explosion of really, really, really bad content, right? I mean, um, uh, if I had watched another Madonna website, whatever, you know. So, um, and, but but it was you know usually a very geeky academic department within university, the physics department of the University of Manchester, or whatever. So. Um, so in our pursuit of procrastination, we figured out that, hey, we could surf the web, and we could just figure out, you know, what are crazy content that comes out every day. And, um, um, and David, in his pursuit of um, creatively procrastinating, you know, started putting it in a database and, um, and, and, and categorized it and started making it searchable. And I was the guy that says, well, hey, instead of keeping this database to ourselves, why don't we publish a website that exposes to the outside world. Um, and that's kind of how it got going, was this guide to the web. And in fact, many of you who are that old will remember it was called David and Jerry's Guide to the Web, uh, the World Wide Web. And um, had, had we kept that name, I would probably wouldn't be speaking to you today. So, uh, <laughs> and you came up with the, the, the name Yahoo and then later came up with what it stands for. Is that right? Yeah. Um, this was, you know... 1994, I think by the end of 1994, we were the biggest website in the, in the world. Um, and, and, um, and what had happened, unbeknownst to us, was we created a, a, a kind of a, um, you know, it's a directory, but 
basically people wanted to get listed. And so it became this interactive directory where people said, hey, I went down, you know, sports, you know, entertainment sports, sumo wrestling, and then I didn't see my website. Here it is, right? Um, and so we were getting just bombarded with requests, and, you know, we wrote software to help with it. But ultimately, it became this um, two of us trying to keep up with people submitting websites. And... Um, uh, and I, I can't exactly remember why, but, but I was the guy that was doing all the interfacing with people submitting. Um, uh, and so that became a, um, a chore to the extent where every time we had to refer to our name as Jerry Davis Guys with the World Wide Web, um, even just figuring out typing it out was like, you know, crazy, right? So, um, so, so. Was the URL David and Jerry's Guide to the World Wide uh, Web? It was, what was it? Was it Aikenbow? No, it was Akebono. That was a server. Uh, In any case, you 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 decided Yahoo yeah, was the yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so we said so. One night we said, look, we have to we have to change the name, and because I can't, we can't, you know. And David hated the fact that his name was even on the thing. So, um, uh, so he was from he's from Louisiana, and and he claimed that he was called Yahoo all his life. So, um, yeah. So that was and and. Um, and if you uh, look up in the dictionary, Yahoo means somebody who's very uncivilized, rude, and um, that kind of described us to a T. So and, and, and as rumor goes, you and David are, because this is a legendary story of the history of Silicon Valley, you and David are sharing a sleeping bag at the office, etc. We didn't share a sleeping bag. <laughs> Two we, sleeping bags? There were no body fluids here. There was nothing. Okay. Um, that would be disgusting to share that with David. But um, you, you slept at the office with David. Yeah, so we would have to take turns, and um, uh, and 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 that was kind of the you know. Um, you mean take turns like twenty four seven? You were yeah. I would sleep, he would work, and vice versa. And that was, um, I think, either both, either one of our girlfriends or both of our girlfriends put their foot down and said, you know, this isn't this isn't going to work, and uh, so. Um, um, but the reality was also we had we were just taking on so much bandwidth in this little corner of Stanford, and our um, our sysadmin came one day and says, "You know, guys, I can't hide you any longer. People are wondering what the hell is all this bandwidth going." And so, um, so we knew we had to leave. We didn't know what to do with it. We didn't think it was a business. We were um, some of you may have heard this, but we were writing business plans to do everything else other than Yahoo as a business. And so, um, so I guess it was kind of the best business was under our noses the whole time. But um, so when we were forced to leave campus, we um, started thinking about how do we keep it going while we figured out a new business to start. Now, and now Village and Omnicloud Ventures were not around then. No, so, no. So you had to, to pitch a lesser venture capital. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Yeah. And, and um, the, 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 the historical account is that Sequoia invested $1 million for 25% right, of Yahoo. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I'll bet you none of you guys are even that close to that valuation <laughs> anymore. Uh, um, so talk us through, you pitched a bunch of VCs, or you just pitched Sequoia yeah, it, and they said yes on the I, spot? Or I, um, I, think, I think revisionist history is always powerful, but um, <laughs> let's see. I, I think, you know, uh, we had one of those old answering machines that had tapes in it, and so I remember we started. Uh, once word got out that Yahoo was looking for a home, um, our, our our answering machine started filling up. And I remember playing one one time. There were um, uh, there were there were two corporates. Um, I think MCI and AOL 
and then um, Nescape, which was a big part of our story. Um, and then there were a few VCs, and I can't remember how many we started with. Um, people come up to me now and says, hey, you came and pitched me in 1994. And I, I I, maybe I did, maybe I, I can't really remember. But we came down to three final ones. It was Tim Draper, um, and, I th- and it, was, it, was, it was Vinod at Kleiner, and then, um, and then it was Mike at Sequoia. Um, and, um, and we had corporate interest, and so we were in D.C. meeting with AOL and MCI, and on the way back um, from the airport, we were like, man, you know, people are talking about giving us $4 million to buy this thing. This is more money than we've ever seen. And, um, and, and I think Moritz said, look, we'll, we'll, we can't buy you, but we'll invest in you at that valuation. So $3 million pre, $1 million right, investment. Right. So, you, know, so you, you essentially own the same amount or a little bit less, but you get to try to build it. And, um, and that, was, that was it. And, uh, so, um, so you raised money from, from professional VCs. And how, how long after until you hired a, a professional CEO? What's amazing about our journey, and, and I should have prefaced all this by saying I'm one of the luckiest people you ever meet because I, I was lucky enough to start Yahoo. I was lucky enough to, um, as, as, as part of Yahoo's journey, you know, start Yahoo Japan with Masa and, um, and then meet Jack. And now, now I'm, I'm very fortunate to have a lot of great entrepreneurs in our portfolio. But, um, but the lucky part is that um, if you... It, 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 you know, now I've been doing this investment stuff for seven years. If if David if David Fowler and Jerry Yang showed up in my office, there's zero chance I would give them money, right? <laughs> um, they were, you know, two PhDs with no ex- entrepreneurial experience. They were um, extremely competitive environment, and people probably don't remember, but there were four or five other companies that were. Um, trying to do the exact same thing. There was no IP protecting what we did. There was no technology, per se. Um, and that, um, oh, there's no business model. So, um, so why the hell would you fund that? <laughs> you know, so, um, so what did Mike Moritz do? So, so, so this is the question I keep asking Mike. I says, you know, what do you, you know. But, uh, now, some of it is, is a little bit of tongue-in-cheek, but I, I think we did have the largest website, and it was, um, it was growing like crazy, right? But part of the funding... Um, agreement, you know, and Mike was good enough to make it my, our idea, which is, you know, we need some adult supervision. Um, uh, partly because we can't, we felt like we, we, we were in such a competitive environment. We were competing with very experienced entrepreneurs, um, uh, Steve Kirsch at InfoSeq and, you know, uh, Lycos. I think, I don't know if Bob Davis went there yet, but, but clearly they were all um, very well-known entrepreneurs at the time. So, um, so while we had a lot of good instincts, we felt like we couldn't learn on the job to try to also grow and run a company. So, the, the modern take on founders as CEOs is the founder should stay the CEO as long as they can. There are some venture firms that will 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 not back a company if the founder is no longer the CEO. Um, whereas I think when you were starting Yahoo, it really was. Pretty standard practice to replace well, the founder. I don't know. I mean, I think I think we've gone through waves, right? I mean, obviously us, um, Google to some respect with Eric, um, but then when Zuck came, it was sort of the you know um, uh, the strong you know called the strong silent type. But um, I I I don't you know I I, I hate to say it, I mean the, uh, there are 
terrific founder CEOs that have stood you know, the test of time. And then there are plenty of companies where our VC friends are replacing the founder with the CEO. So I don't know if it's, if it's a rule of thumb at all other than you know, um, uh, both could work and both could not work. And um, um, I, I do think people tend to glorify and identify the founder CEO, um, uh, it, it, and I think for good reasons, right? It, 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 usually, if you have the right drive and passion, um, that tends to deliver more success. Um, uh, in our case, I would say that um, finding the right CEO was extremely important because... Um, and, Tika, and Tim Kugel was kind of a, you know, a throwback. He was not a traditional business guy. He <clears throat> didn't come in with any perceived, preconceived notions. Um, he guided and steered us rather than, you know, pushed us. And, and, and so I would say that, you know, and, and, and we went on the land grab immediately. So it never felt like we were being supervised. We were really mm-hmm. part of a team uh, with Jeff Mallard and Zod and... Um, and so it, 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 I, I, I suppose we were, you know, we were very lucky to have mm. found a team that actually, um, that, that, that actually were all rolling towards the same direction without okay. having it slow down. We've seen the other way, which, you know, you bring in management of professional people with preconceived notions and, and you kill the spirit of the company. It's picking up on that thread uh, around the team. The, the, the diaspora and the alumni of Yahoo is, is legendary, from uh, the founders of WhatsApp to modern execs like Jeff Weiner and Dan Rosenzweig. What do you think, in the early days, were you setting a culture or a DNA to attract these sorts of people, or were you hi- looking for certain qualities that you think generated uh, so many unbelievably talented execs and founders? That came well, I, I, I think they make us look good. Um, uh, but I, I would say that um, even from very early on, it was very competitive to hire great people. And there's only so much, you know, free lunch and foosball tables and, um, and, and money can buy, right? So, um, so we had to create a culture that is borderline, you know, cult religion, um, and, and I think all, all strong founders have an element of being able to evangelize and, and, and sort of advocate an, a, a, a line of religion. And so I think culturally, we, we wanted this um, we, we, we wanted this more team approach. We wanted this more collaborative approach. We, um, I remember we would... Uh, we would favor people who played better on the team rather than a, a, a sort of a, a, a loner individual superstar. Um, so it was a conscious set of choices for this culture um, that, uh, that we were hoping would be a, our, our competitive advantage. And I think it lasted for a little while, uh, probably, um, you know, the, the, certainly 10 years probably. Um, so, so maybe jumping forward a bit in the history of Yahoo. Yeah. Um, so it starts... You know, you're sleeping in a sleeping bag at the office. Um, <clears throat> some years later, uh, an iconic photo emerges of Jerry Yang at the Allen and Coast and Valley Conference, surrounded with by um, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, with with an animated discussion, allegedly Which year debating was this? allegedly debating yeah, Microsoft's right. forty five billion dollar oh, acquisition oh, oh. offer yeah. of Yahoo, yeah. which 
which uh, has been analyzed and, and recounted from lots of different angles. Could you right. walk us through um, the decision-making process and how you thought about that moment and the, the agony and the pain? Well, and the, the... you know, I, I would say... Um, Were you CEO at the time? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I would say a couple of things. One is that once you're CEO, your responsibility is to the shareholders, right? So there is a lot of, you know, Monday morning, Monday morning quarterbacking on, on could have, should have, but... Um, but, and I'm not saying this because now I'm a shareholder of a lot of companies, but I, I would say that um, as CEO with my board, I think our responsibility was to figure out if you can get a deal done. So um, uh, the challenge was that when we realized you couldn't get a deal done because they didn't want to do it anymore, then you have to save the company. You have to save the company by telling the employees that, you know, how do you, you know, you have to stick around and things like that. So it's a, it was a tricky situation only because um, they made a public offer and then they backed out of it, right? Um, it was convenient to say, hey, the founder CEO, Jerry Yang, didn't want to do a deal. Um, and, and I can't negate that in the public thing because I want my employees who want to stick around to say, hey, we didn't, we didn't do a deal, so we've got to keep moving forward. But it was interesting because... Um, you know, it was difficult to get a deal done for a couple of reasons. And, and the third, you know, the, the, the last reason, which I'll say is probably the, the ultimate. But it was getting weird when we were talking about um, getting through uh, the Justice Department, the antitrust issue. So, so that's always a key thing in, in any, you know, big takeovers like this. And, um, uh, and, and, and I won't get into the details of that, but it was clear that they were not ready to go after, because, you know, this is not, this was a while, but this is about 10 years after the, the Microsoft um, uh, consent decree with the Justice Department. So they were not ready to push for a deal if they ran into any trouble. That was kind of weird. Um, the second one was Steve, uh, which we still laugh about. Steve Ballmer. Steve Ballmer, that we still laugh about <laughs> this day, is he wanted to value our Asian asset at zero. So in our is this pre the Alibaba deal? No, no, we had forty percent of Alibaba. So, um, uh, so in retrospect, you know, we can all right, so but, all but, but but it was a very difficult conversation to say, hey, we want to pay forty billion dollar for Yahoo, but we value Asian asset at zero. And so what, Alibaba's market cap now is almost four hundred billion. What was right, it at that something. time? Yeah, I. I, don't know. I mean, was Anybody it clearly know? an unbelievable position to hold in at the time? Well, I, I don't know. I, I would say this was 2008, right? So, no, it was not clear. But, but, um, but this is, you know, Yahoo Japan and Yahoo and, and Alibaba. And so we're, so we're like, oh, that's just negotiating, but whatever. Um, and the third, I think, was, um, and maybe this was Bill Gates or maybe this was Steve, but... Um, but when, when kind of April of 2008 rolled around, um, you know, they saw the, the economy tanking, right? And, and to me, that was sort of the, the, the final straw. It was just like there was no way they were going to go through an antitrust period. And, um, and, and now, I don't think they knew whether it was, you know, Lehman Brothers was going to happen in September or whatever. But... Uh, but it's clear they're sort of seeing the economy doing one of these things. And um, so once they backed out, I think it was very difficult to, um, you know, they, they you know, the, 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 it's, it's one of those things where everybody goes back to their corners and everybody has to say what is convenient for them. Um, so maybe so take, picking up another thread on another 
significant deal in Yahoo's history, yep. um, the SoftBank deal and Yahoo Japan. Yeah. You work closely with Masa. Right. And he was now enjoying a resurgence of, of yep. influence in the Valley yep. today. Um, separate sort of from the Yahoo deal to stepping back. How many of you guys have SoftBank investments? Too early Nobody stage. yet? Too early stage. What? At his former company. Oh, yes. I, that doesn't count. Um, yeah. well, the only thing I've said to Moss is you can't mark up your own investment. <laughs> but that's you happening can't do, like, a, a second round on top of your first round, you know. So, so, count it as IRR. So help us yeah. understand the psychology of Moss and what's your take on the SoftBank effect? I, I, it's very easy for Valley firms and institutions to be cynical about Masa. Um, but if you sit down with Masa and you listen to what he's trying to do, um, it's, a very, it's a very powerful vision. He, he has had the opportunity of participating in what he calls platform companies uh, for 20 years. And, and, um, and now he believes this is the era, right, with AI and everything else, that he believes that if he can um, take stakes in companies of the future, and then quote-unquote platform companies, and then help them work with each other uh, in a way that is um, more active in an entrepreneur-friendly way than passive, as most institutions are, um, he thinks he can create tremendous value. Um, and Masa puts his money where his mouth is. And, um, uh, Has he invested in any Ame Cloud Ventures company? Yes, yes. Um, at, at reasonable valuation? At very reasonable valuation. Excellent. But, but I, I, it's not just him, right? He obviously has a, 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 an army of investors now. So, um, Although allegedly every founder has to go to Tokyo and meet with Masa yes, in person before yes. a deal gets done, no matter uh-huh. who else on the team is. Some, some people have Skyped in, I know. But, um, um, so, so maybe a third. So we've talked about the Microsoft deal and the Yahoo Japan deal. Um, maybe the deal that you're now most famous for cutting, uh, called the most lucrative tech bet of, of all time, right. is the Alibaba investment. Right. Um, so give us the, the, the snapshot of how that uh, came to be and any, any lessons or reflections from it. I, you know, it's very interesting given what's happening now with the US and China um, to, to think back in sort of late 90s when um, we were taught, you know, we grew up in the world of globalization, right? And, and um, and, and if you produce the best product, you could sell it to the world, you know, um, which may not be true anymore, unfortunately, in our world. But, um, but I, I think, I think the, the, the way that we were all encouraged to go and think about China was through engagement, right? If we were able to um, help drive their middle class to be 500 million people, you know, 800 million people, then they're going to get more freedom, and therefore this, this idea of economic opening up and, and allowing them to um, into, the, into, the, into the Western world, so to speak, was, was sort of the mandate. And so, um, and Jiang Zemin was uh, uh, probably the prototypical president that, that in, in, in looking back, that president that really opened to the West. And so I remember, you know, um, they had a very active effort to court technology companies from the U.S. They had a very active effort to court um, uh, entrepreneurs because they wanted to grow an entrepreneurial um, sector. Um, and and uh, and I went in 1997 for the first time to go to China's. I think it was a Fortune conference or something. Um, 
And the Ministry of Foreign Trade and, and Economic Cooperation, MOFTEC, has sent one of their middle... Uh, it was, it was an official, but it was basically somebody that worked in the ministry to be my tour guide because he spoke English. And that person was Jack, right? And, um, and so... Um, Jack Ma. Jack Ma. And, and so we, you know, he took me to the Great Wall. We went, you know, went to sightseeing and all these places. And, and of course, he was very... Um, this was between his startups. He had failed, and then he went to the ministry for a while, and then he left the ministry to go back to Hangzhou and started... Taobao. So, um, so he was he was very inquisitive and, and obviously um, interested in what the internet is doing. And um, and then we lost touch. But um, but you know our, our the Yahoo story in China was basically we were trying to build Yahoo China like we had done in Japan, which was very successful. Um, but we soon realized that the government wasn't going to let us do everything we wanted to. In fact. The government wasn't going to let us do anything we wanted to do, um, and so um, so on our our way out, the government basically nicely says, "Hey, you know, if you guys keep sticking around, we might have regulations that are still in drafting form, but it may come out and make what you're doing illegal." So, okay. but have a great trip home. Have a great trip home, Jerry. You're the pride of all the Chinese people around the world. Uh, okay, so um, so. I'm like walking out of the meeting. I said to Terry Summel at the time, "Like, we got to get the heck out of China." Um, and um, and and this is when we 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 embarked on the strategy of trying to figure out how do we take what we have in China and make it into, you know, an investment or a stake, with, you know, kind of a leader in the business. And so you do what any person would actually do, which is call your tour guide. Yeah, right. No, but, but, but the, obviously the advice. yeah the the. Um, and, and so we were competing in China on e-commerce. Like we, we, you know, Yahoo Japan had a very strong, I think to this day has a very strong um, commerce business. And so our biggest competitor in China in the commerce was this company called Taobao. And we're like, who the hell is behind Taobao? And sure enough, it was Jack. And, and so we, we, we rekindled our romance and um, the rest is history. But, um, but it was this idea of you know, on the way out, on the retreat, right? Trying to trying to leave mm-hmm. our, um, trying to create some value by by leaving our assets and our money with who we hope is in this leader. And we figured, you know, there's not a lot of sophistication. We basically found a guy, you know, and and by this point, Masa had already invested. So Masa probably, not probably, he will tell you he's the best investor in the world. <laughs> and it's true. It's so Masa true. had already invested in Alibaba. Uh, Masa had already okay. invested in Alibaba, and you know, and and. Um, and, uh, and Jack had one condition where he says, look, you know, I want, I, I'm willing to sell 40% to Yahoo, but I want to be the highest valued private company in China, post money. So this is, um, so this is how, you know, came up with the five billion post. Um, and um, it was one, one billion dollar. One billion in cash. And then we put our assets in China into, uh, you know, into their business for whatever. To five billion posts to almost four hundred billion posts, not yeah. Not well, I mean, it's interesting because as part of our billion dollar investment in Alibaba, which at that time was unheard of. I mean, it was risky for Yahoo, right? Because I think we had three billion on the balance sheet, so it's like a third of our balance sheet into, you know, what other people would call crazy Jack, and um, uh, and so so it was crazy on every it was crazy on every scenario. But if you think about it, that one billion was taking out a bunch of existing Alibaba investors. Mm-hmm. So can you imagine some angel investor that 
you know, put the money at 20 million posts, and all of a sudden Yahoo comes and buy them out at 5 billion posts, right? So they think they made a huge amount of money, and a lot of them did. But, um, but, but the lesson is obviously the ride from 5 billion to 400 billion was even more impressive. So, so. What, are there lessons for the founders in the room today who are mostly based here in the Valley or in the U.S.? What can we learn from the Alibabas of the world? You're still on the board, we should say, so yeah. you still, still have some involvement in the business. What is there to learn from the Chinese ecosystem and, and these extraordinary success stories uh, like Jack Ma? And what can we apply to our own businesses here? Well, I, I mean, I, I think there are plenty of success stories here. And so, I, um, uh, but, but I think the advent of Jack and Pony at Tencent and, um, and, and you know, they were sort of the, the global entrepreneurs, right, that, that put China tech on the map. Um, but I think um, what is interesting to observe is that, you know, in, in very much a cultural thing in China, you know, there's generations of entrepreneurs. So, so if Jack and Pony were sort of generation one, um, there's been generation two and three and probably the fourth generation. And, um, and, and there's a lot of respect and, and admiration from generation two to generation one and three to two and et cetera. They all want to kill each other. Right. They all want to be, I, I can be better than Jack, and I can be better than, you know. So, um, so in many ways, you're seeing the acceleration of, um, uh, of, of entrepreneurs that think they can one-up the guys that, that came before them. Um, uh, it, it's, it, it's, many of you travel there. I mean, it's what you would expect. It's um, intense. I, I, your, I, your old VC, Mike Moritz, wrote an op-ed a few months ago saying, Americans don't work hard enough. Go to China, you'll see what work ethic looks yeah, like. It's, Do you agree? It's, well, it's, it's a very... Um, I, I, was, I would agree on the startup sense, right? Like, if you work for China Telecom, you're not going to be there. You're not going to do the 996 thing, right? So um, I, I also work with Didi, which is the, the rice share company in China. And, um, and whenever I'm meeting with Cheng Wei, it's always, I mean, it's not always, I'm, sometimes I visit him doing normal office hours, but he, he, he always wants to start a meeting at 11 p.m., right? That's, that's when he's, he's free and, 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 and um, you know, he, he has a kid and then he comes back to work the next day. So, I mean, he didn't have a kid, but, you know, his wife had a kid. And, but it's just, it, it, to me, you know, you, you, you go to these really tight-knit startup companies, it's like family, you know, and... and um, uh, it, it, you know, you're 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 working with your brothers and sisters. You're you're um, so the, so. There's no, you know, there's not a, a it's not a clear divide between what is personal. I mean, you know, everybody understands if you have personal issues at home, go home, don't show up, you know, whatever. But um, but there's no real. I mean, there's plenty to do at work. Meaning, like your life is at work, your social life is at work. So when you invest in a company here in the states. Well, it's just Are not, you it's telling not them like that, schedule yeah. 11 p.m.? No, know, let's have no, a call no, at 11 p.m.? No, no. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily buy that you have to work like the Chinese to beat the Chinese. In fact, I would argue if you try to beat Chinese at their game, you're probably not going to beat mm. them because, A, we don't have as many people as they do, and B, um, uh, culturally, that's just not how, you know. So we have to figure out a way to work smarter and mm. better, not, not more. Mm. Um, but... But it is very intense there, and it is um, uh, it is something that people see as um, a point of pride, 
we'll see. I mean, if 10 years, do they keep working like that? Or, you know, I mean, a lot of this is still a, a generational thing, right? They're, they're young, they're relatively, um, uh, um, we'll see. I don't know. I, I, I would say that many of you, and certainly with Yahoo in the early days and when we were late 20s, early 30s, we worked pretty hard. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't remember going home very much. Let's transition um, to a couple more general topics. Jerry, you have a reputation of being a really nice guy. Um, can nice guys and gals win in business? Is it a strength or weakness? And yeah. I just contrast that to, say, Larry Ellison's reputation, not so nice a guy. Uh, how does your interpersonal approach and warmth and compassion, I, I, if true, yeah, yeah. It's how does that serve you or hinder you? Well, I, 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 I would say, first of all, it's totally irrelevant, but... Um, but um, uh, but I, I remember um, when I became CEO, Steve Jobs called me and says, Jerry, congratulations, but you're making a huge mistake. I'm like, why, Steve? You're too nice to be CEO, right? And, um, and so, uh, so his advice was, Jerry, you have to take your management team and every other one just fire him or her. <laughs> and um, and so, if you, so how many VPs do you have? I have 300. Well, get rid of half, right? Um, and... and um, and then, you know, I, you know, my, another mentor of sorts was was Chuck Schwab, and Chuck calls and, and he's he's like, you know, he's the nice guy, right? He is the one that says, you know, you, you really have a chance of culture. Da, da. So, I, there are many of many different ways to skin a cat, and, um, uh, but I would argue, you know, Steve, you know, during the time I met him and knew him, you know, was one of the kindest, most generous. Mentors I had, um, uh, even Larry Ellison, you know, um, uh, in his own way is very, very, you know, he's, 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 you know, you talk to people. I just met with somebody I worked from. You know, he's, he's, people are so loyal to him, hmm. and if you're not a nice guy, it's not, it's just, it doesn't compute. So I think there's a, a bit of a outward crust or persona or shell that people try to portray, and. Um, uh, um, I'm not saying Larry's nice or Steve was nice, but they're but because they're, they definitely can be nasty. But they're they're from that generation of people where, you know, being tough and being nasty was the way to win, right? And I mm-hmm. think, I think the valley has evolved a lot. Um, I don't I, I I don't really think about whether I'm nice or not. I just think about it as um, I just want to treat people like I would want to be treated. And so if I'm really nasty to somebody, and then Thinking that you know if that's how they treated me, I would, I, I, you know. Um, so I don't like that asymmetry. Even though, if you're in position of power or or if you're well known, you you can use that and get away with it. And I think a lot of people end up using that asymmetry and have a have a, have a reputation of not being nice. But um, uh, but I don't think of it as that being nice or not mm. nice. I just think about it as you know, um, if I if I'm nasty to somebody. I may have to see that person again, and if I don't remember I'm being nasty to him, then you know, it doesn't work, right? So, right. so it's it's just more of a more of a balance thing for me. So you're now helping run Ame Cloud Ventures, um, and uh, what's the investment thesis of the venture firm? Um, it's we don't have LP money, so it's whatever we want to do, um, which was a, a huge like degree of freedom. Now, now of course, my wife reminds me that you know. She is the LP, but um, <laughs> uh, so I don't have as much freedom as I thought. But um, 
But our idea was um, uh, we, we have three building founding principles. One is anything that looked and smelled like Yahoo, we won't do. So um, we, didn't do any, we didn't do any consumer internet for a long time, and we still haven't done it much. Um, second was we wanted to do early stage, right? Trying to get to founder, founders and entrepreneurs early in their life cycle. Um, and actually, just to find that for folks in the room that might want to pitch the firm, yeah. seed stage, Series A, Series B. I mean, B, we or? do any stage okay. for this room, but but our our preferred um, point of entry is pre, you know, ideally pre A. You know, a lot of times we're the first or second check in. So, um, and the, and the third real theme is is data driven businesses. So, we were able to take advantage of a lot of the the Hadoop outflow from Yahoo. There were a lot of data businesses that got built. Um, and, and we just kind of follow the, the data, data to big data, to cloud, to mobility, to AI, to, um, as we talked about earlier, you know, as sort of the data and digitization of biology, we, we've done a bunch of stuff in that space. But the idea is, you know, have some deep science or deep tech, um, uh, and, and then really pick the right entrepreneurs. Blockchain? Blockchain. Long or short for you? Uh, What's the opportunity as you see? Well, it? so I, I wish I bought when Reed told me to buy, um, but I did buy, and I don't have as much as him. But um, uh, and then are you still buying? I I'm not buying. I bought Ethereum uh, when it was in the low hundreds. Um, but I, I think we're like everything else. The things that we're invested in are infrastructure to enable blockchain to be useful, right, um, rather than the currency itself. And, and we'll see, right? Um, this is, is not a short-term thing, I don't think. You've ticked off some names of people who you've worked with yeah. in your career. Um, I'm going <clears> to <throat> read a few names of folks, of people oh, okay. who I think you know. This is a lightning round? This right? is a lightning okay, round. Okay. I'd love to hear what you learn from them or what you find impressive or inspiring about them. It can just be a few words or a phrase. And we'll start with some fellow village uh, LPs. Uh, Eric Schmidt. Um, I mean, uh, Eric is... Um, I, I think he is... What's the way you want to phrase? Uh, or what comes to mind? What's right, impressive right, about right. him? Uh, I think he's deeply perceptive. He, 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 he sees things. He doesn't always tell you what he sees, but he's very, very perceptive. Uh, Herb Allen from Allen and Company. Yes, uh, Herb is um, deeply perceptive in a different way. He's uh, he's um, he's like a quiet force. Um, he's very very quiet, but he has tremendous um, insights and, and ability to kind of make things happen behind the scenes. Reed Hoffman. Um, I, I think he's one of our treasures. Uh, he's an American treasure. He's one of our best public intellectuals. Um, you know, he he's not afraid to wade in into anything. And and I think he's he's extremely courageous when what he's trying to do now and what what he thinks you know he can accomplish with his ability to kind of get people to talk about important issues. You're on the board of Workday. I am. Neil Busser. He's too good of a golfer. <laughs> and you know, I mean, I, I, there, there are a few guys, I mean, few, few entrepreneurs, guys and, 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 and ladies, but I, I, that, you know, Anil is that 
stereotypical product CEO that it's um, second nature to him how, when to flip from being a product person, when to flip to a CEO. I mean, he doesn't even realize it. And you watch him work, it's, it's really, really incredible. Um, and um, I keep telling him he needs to write a book or, or, or he needs to like, teach somebody how he makes that decision because he's had the advantage of being at Greylock and doing SaaS company investments and he was a very successful investor. So he could toggle these multiple modes of operating, of being an, a technologist, of being you know, a business person, an investor better than anybody I've seen. I mean, sometimes you know, in a, in a five-minute period, he'll go through the, those phases, and it's incredible to watch. Marissa Mayer. Um, I think she's brilliant. I, you know, didn't, I, I didn't have anything to do with picking her at Yahoo, but I was very glad when she took the job because I thought that's what Yahoo needed was a product person. Um, and I figured she had kind of the tailwind of Alibaba behind her, but, um, but ultimately I don't think, you know, unfortunately I don't think she was able to, to, to pull Yahoo out of the, the trouble it was in. Last but not least, your wife, Akiko. Um, Noted philanthropist in the Bay Area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, uh, she's the boss. Uh, uh, so in case this recording goes out in the public. Um, <laughs> no, you know, when, when, when you know, we, 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 we met, and um, when, you, when you're able to marry somebody, and in my case, we, we met and, and we're seriously dating before I started Yahoo. So she was there, you know, wow. from the beginning, right? Um, uh, you know, to let me go do crazy things. It's and and obviously she's 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 my best friend and, and my trusted partner and everything else and mother of dragons and uh, um, but you know all so that good stuff. Some other quick hitters. Um, you wish you were in Toronto tonight. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, you're here with all of us. No, no, no. This is good. Um, you guys are good. Uh, who's your pick? Warriors versus Raptors. Warriors. And if Katie's healthy, should the Warriors play him? Um, yeah. <laughs> Are the Warriors better with him or without him? Oh, yeah. Better I mean, with him. Look, I, I'm, I'm a small owner of the team, but I'm not speaking for the team. I mean, are you crazy? <laughs> he's, 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 he's the best player on the planet. In, in what ways are you trying to improve yourself in the coming months and years? Any self-improvement goals? I find my current job as an investor, I feel like I'm getting worse at it and not better at it. And, um, and I want to figure out why. And part of it is that now I've, I know what I know that's actually getting in the way of when I didn't know stuff, I felt like I made better decisions. So, um, so I can't pretend I don't know what I know. So how do I work around it? That's what I'm working on. Final question for me for now, so get ready to think of your questions in the audience. Um, but Jerry, what's a, what's a book you frequently, frequently give as a gift or recommend to people? Um, about business, life, spirituality? Yeah, you know, I mean, for a while I was, uh, uh, you know, I sent out a few copies of the AI Superpower, if you guys haven't read that. I think it's important to know the dynamic. The Kaifu's book. Um, um, I have daughters, and there's a book... uh, um, that I gave a Neil when he had his second daughter, something about you know how to be a dad to daughters. Um, because the title comes back to you, we'll come back to that. Yeah. Raise your hand for questions. Questions for Jerry. Uh, I'll start with Ashwin. 
A um, couple threads that you've talked about here is uh, with China and um, you've got Hold a reputation a of um, the ultimate globalist um, and also with data. How do you, what, what's your advice to port- your portfolio companies about managing the privacy data future in these different ecosystems with the United States, with GDPR in Europe, yeah. and, with, and with data in China? I, you know, we... Um Sadly, are investing in, are looking at a lot of companies and investing in. Um, I mean, they're, they're great companies, but they're basically, you know, um, we're, we're splitting up the internet, right? And so the the internet that we talked about thirty years ago versus today, we have internet for different sovereignties. We have Facebook's internet, we have Google's internet, we have you know, um, uh, iOS and Android. I mean, the internet wasn't the Yahoo time anymore. So um, that's reality. That's a business opportunity. But, but it's also that we're going to have to build, as, as walls get built in the Internet, um, there, there, there will be companies that um, help figure out these walls, right? So data governance and um, compliance is all of a sudden a huge business. Um, uh, in-country colos. I mean, remember, like, colo data centers were gone because cloud, and now all of a sudden, you know, maybe you have to keep data where it's from. And if California decides to have its own privacy law, we have to store data. So, so all of a sudden, you know, we went from everything going into the cloud in, in one platform, now we're sort of fragmenting again. And there's businesses that, that, that are, are uh, you know, GDPR compliance is, is is huge um, uh, explainability AI? How did you know? How did that algorithm predict? You know whether to give you a loan or not. Um, uh, and someday, you know, you have to explain how an algorithm decided on that. Um, so, so I, I, it's not like it's pure innovation in the traditional sense. It's not like we've just invented a new chip to to do new things. But these are software that that I think are part of the new reality of a fragmented and more segmented world. And um, Next question, we'll go to Didi. Uh, I'm Dita. I'm a friend of Village Global. Um, How do you want to become a friend of Village Global? It's a very rigorous uh, process. Uh, okay. Ask Ross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lots of sort of foreign companies fail in China. Yeah. Um, the reverse, though, we don't hear a ton about, right? So if you look at the next 10 years, what do you see in terms of Chinese ex- companies expanding in U.S., but also other markets that U.S. companies will be competing for? Well, I mean, the way things are going, you know, I don't, I don't think there are going to be too many Chinese companies here, um, which, I, I, you know, I think on the whole is not great. Um, but what I predict, and I should say this up front, I, I, you know, I feel like the U.S.-China rift is like a 20-year rift. It's probably a technology cold war in a way Hopefully, you know, as, as Cold Wars go, is as, as, as bad as it'll get. But um, um, and, and what I mean by that is, we talk about you know their their data and their privacy and their internet. Um, uh, you know, this five G war, which is an infrastructure war, and then um, as with tariffs or not, I think they're going to start to want to build their own supply chain capability. You know, from chips up um, and. And we're going to want to diversify our supply chain away from dependence on China. So you're going to have this splitting of the world where we spent 30 years building it. Um, 
So having said that, I think um, when superpowers fight, they try not to fight on their home turf, right? So that it'll be proxy fights. Um, I, you know, whether it's the Belt Road Initiative with China or or our current president doesn't believe in alliances, but at some point you'll have to find friends. Um, and my prediction is, you know, Chinese companies are not going to try to come to the U.S. and bang their heads against the wall. That's crazy. But it'll probably be in Southeast Asia. It'll probably be in Europe in some respects. Um, and that's probably where we'll, you know, the Amazon, the first war Amazon will fight with Alibaba probably will be India, right? I mean, so you can kind of start seeing... Um, uh, these proxy wars being fought um, outside of the, the, the two countries. Um, um, and it'll be interesting, and, and, and who knows? Next question will go to Sarah in the front, and then one on the back. Hi, I'm Sarah Deshpande. I'm an investor with Maven Ventures. You mentioned you aren't doing much investing on kind of the consumer internet side. You just maybe know too much for that. No. I, but I do... Th- I mean, there have to, I have to believe there will be major billion-dollar successes for consumers, software that they use in their everyday daily lives. I'm curious if there are kind of unmet needs or big areas of opportunity you do still see for consumer software. I, you know, obviously part of it, it was joking. I, I think um, I'm too old. Uh, like if somebody, I was talking to Jeremy Liu, and I was like, how the hell? I mean, if somebody showed me a messenger, that messages disappear and, you know, why the hell would you invest in that, right? And um, um, and so so the, the the instinct. So there's two things. One is if you're an early stage investor, you have to invest in a ton of consumer stock because the failure, you know, the death rate is very very high. Um, and there's no real downside protection because it's usually you know 25 year old making an app, right? But um, and the second thing is uh, I think the volume game doesn't really work for early stage for for people like me because we we just don't. We don't see and know and know and and and, and but I think um, and third I think it is a bit of the current times right I mean um, uh, Apple and Android dominating the the the, uh, the ecosystem um, you know Facebook and 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 to some respect Google um, it's very hard I mean it's very hard to develop uh, consumer apps that um, that have huge upside now. Uh, that time may come, it will change because these are cycles. Um, I, I think a, um, I, I, I personally think, going back to our earlier conversation, I think privacy is going to be a, um, a, key, a killer app um, to the extent that you can figure out a way to, um, look, if you live in a Western society, if you live in the United States, um, you know, China, you go to China, you basically give up all your privacy, you're going to get surveyed, you know, they're going to know that you stop at the airport, you're going to show up at the hotel, they know everything, right? In the U.S., there's benefits of, of some surveillance, right? Like if, if I walk into a mall and um, they know my delivery, whatever. So there's like, so if there's a way of um, dialing up and down your privacy preference dynamically, um, to take advantage of the great things that you can do with AI, but not lose your privacy. Obviously, that's a huge. Um, I think it's a huge advantage for 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 our way of life. Uh, but if we don't solve that, then China is going to have way more data than we do, and because they don't they don't really care. So, um, so I think I think that's a that's a key. I, I'm not saying it well because I really haven't thought about it long. But I feel like if we can figure out a way to 
to really create a, a dial for our privacy um, as consumers, um, it'll be a, a, a it, I think it'll really be a killer app. Last question from the audience, then I'll ask the last one. Let's go to Henry. Just maybe introduce long. yourself, Henry. Yeah, so your thoughts on, I guess, companies now, there's a lot of venture capital money. Companies can stay private for much, much longer versus the era when you guys went public. And yeah. companies very successful went public like Amazon at 15 million in revenue, probably, something like that, uh, for example. Yeah. Just your thoughts on the climate change in 20 years. I mean, I, I don't know if you, I, I don't think we got into this, but, you know, we started a company, we incorporated the company Yahoo at March 2nd of 1995. We went public in April of 1996. Wow. Okay. Um, our S1 had one million in revenue, right? And so, um, and so I would argue we went public way too soon, uh, but that was the only way to get a war chest because everybody else is building war chests, right? So um, now you're getting all these people saying maybe Uber went to public too late or, or whatever. But um, I, I, I think there are, um, I, I think there, there are some good things of going public. There's obviously a lot of bad things about going public, especially with the current you know investor environment. Um, and um, but but my advice to my entrepreneurs. You know, Eric, Eric Yuan just went public with Zoom. Um, one I tried of our investments, right? One, one of our investments, and I try to talk him out of it. But I, I think, ultimately, if you go in with your eyes wide open, right, and you take as much advice as you can from people, and there's plenty of people who can tell you guys what it's like to be public and what, what pitfalls to avoid. We'll see. I mean, Eric is newly public. But I, I think if you go in with your eyes open and your expectations set, um, it could be a very powerful tool. And, and in Zoom's case, you know, it helps the brand. It helps um, the visibility. And, and in Yahoo's case, that was a big argument to say, "Hey, you, now you're you've arrived, right? You're not you're not some fly by night kind of thing." So, so, so Jared, one final question. Yeah. In, the, in our tradition with our conversations with luminaries like yourself, um, we're called village because no founder can change the world on his or her own. It requires a village around you to uh, realize your full potential. Who is somebody in your village? in your greater network, in your team, in your family that's been instrumental to your success, and how so? Well, we've already rattled off my wife and, 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 and a few mentors. I, I, I think in my old age I'm getting a little nostalgic, but, um, uh, but, but you know, um, I used to, you know, uh, this is, uh, I think it was 10 years since Steve Jobs passed, but, but you know, we used to walk in, in the streets of Palo Alto together, right, Waverly, and, and there's hundreds of people walking with us, or not with us, but just walking around <clears> the town of Palo Alto, and it never leaks, right? So Steve has this magic power of, you know, I'm walking down the street with Jerry Yang, yes, you know, and, um, but Steve, you know, I would say Steve had both, you know, and then um, the other person that I, I think uh, in a very different way um, uh, was Andy Grove, and, and Andy, I think, just um, was tough as nails and was a man of a few words, but when he spoke, you, you like, really, you know, your brain hurts trying to listen to him because he, he, he almost speaks in code, you know, he tries, you know, uh, it's like a little bit like Yoda, um, uh, but, but those are different people that I think, for me, and then we have, li- I think we have living legends. I mean, like, we talked about Chuck recent, uh, before, but, but Chuck, to me, um, 
Charles Schwab. Yeah. Charles Schwab is so wise. Um, he's got that folksy, homey kind of thing, but he is, um, he has seen, you know, I, I just love storytellers like him. Jerry Yang, thank you very thank much. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the Village Global podcast. You can check us out online at villageglobal.vc. We'd love to hear from you, your feedback, your ideas, your inspirations. You can email us at hello at villageglobal.vc.